0: everyone welcome to manufacturing Hub with Dave and Vlad I am Dave that's Vlad this is episode 10 and we have our very special guest Huck bales and Huck Hello, you are you are the associate director of engineering and Smart Manufacturing Solutions at Grantech. And I really do want to get into your background, but as I promised you, uh, I, I'd like to start off talking about like what smart manufacturing is. Can you tell us a little bit about what smart manufacturing solutions are? Uh, smart, sure, smart manufacturing
1: is everything from um, getting data out of PLCs and providing context to it, to uh, MES systems, mm-hmm. to analytics, it's uh, it, it, it's all of the um, it's it's all the level three stuff that you find in the ISA model. I I, I presume a lot of the audience will be familiar with ISA ninety five. Um, so for us, it's 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 all about uh, getting information out of the controls layer and presenting it in a way uh, that adds value to the process or the the profitability of the of the business.
0: No, so it's a pretty no. broad thing for us. No, it is. And and as we've discussed, this is the manufacturing intelligence theme that we're going through. And, and I think that that kind of sums up the goal of manufacturing intelligence is getting the data out and presenting it in, in a useful manner. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that, that means a lot of different things in different industries and for different customers and for, you know, where customers are in their ability to leverage the technology right
2: yeah absolutely and i think uh, there's many you know different tangents that we can go on from here and of course sure. there's the obvious one which is technology but one of the somewhat less discussed uh topic is change management right that comes into play with industry 4.0 d- digital solutions and i think it would be very interesting to get your perspective right as you mentioned whether or not like the clients are ready to make that change like what does that really maybe first of all entail and how do you think about uh let's say approaching a new customer and presenting them with the let's say transformative journey uh into digital into the digital space in manufacturing
1: that's a hard question blad (laughs) (laughs) sorry Um, a
2: little bit convoluted
1: (laughs) no it it i mean it is the challenge right uh the thing about uh you know, when smart manufacturing is much bigger than MES, but uh, a lot of what we do is MES. And the um, the challenge with MES is that it's providing a platform for improvement, right? Uh, and so a lot of times we see a customer wants to come in and do a thing. They want to add an OEE system or they want to do some SBC, but they're and so maybe there's a capital exp- uh, capital budget to go do this thing, but uh, s- sometimes there's not enough uh, investment in what's going to, how's that going to change the way people do their work, and uh, and how the uh, how the business can benefit from the solution. So sometimes it it, it in my experience o- over the years, uh, it's it's. Um, th- the, the change that, the, there's, there's two parts to it too, I think. There's the opportunity that the new system presents to improve the business, improve the product, productivity, et cetera. Um, and the, the negative side of that is that there could be groups that within the organization that get left out of the change and aren't ready for the change and don't accept the change. Um, uh, a few years back, I, I did a, uh, a system where it was uh, specialty chemicals, and we were doing we were doing uh, recipe management, batch tracking of this whole system, and quality was a big part of it. But quality never came to the table, and we deployed the system. and Guess what? It didn't meet the needs of quality, mm-hmm. right? They and so we and that was actually a big uh, a big issue in that particular project. We we actually put the go live on hold while we did a new cycle of adding functionality to support what the quality folks, finally, the guy up top said, Hey, quality, you need to come to the meeting. And, uh, and so we did another cycle of development in order to, uh, to meet the needs of that. So, so that's, you know, that's some of the challenges that you can face. How do
2: you, if I may kind of follow up on that, on that thought, right? Of the quality department or any other department for, for that matter, maybe not willing to follow suit. How do you, um, like rope them back in, so to speak. Is it something that you do through the customer and you kind of reiterate the importance of the system or is it more going directly to that department and trying to explain the benefits or was it really, I guess, on the technical side that they were not aligned? I'm I'm curious. I don't know if how many details you can share about that (laughs) specific project, but obviously like in a general sense, because I think all three of us have seen, you know, these challenges in different departments.
1: Yeah, and I think it it varies, right? And I guess the the important thing is up front when you are scoping and defining the requirements for the project is to um, make sure you understand who all the stakeholders are, right? Mm -hmm. And in this case, we knew that quality was there. Um, But then also make sure that the sponsors are taking ownership of that stakeholder involvement. And that, and that in, the, in this case, that's what we are lacking, right? The, the sponsor was a little checked out. The production, our primary customer, was the production management, and they, you know, they had their own issues with quality. And so they're like, "We're getting our thing, and we're going forward. And if they don't show up, that's their problem. That's, you know, that's kind of how it shook out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's that's the that's the challenge. And from a from a, on the delivery perspective, it's you know, it's our responsibility to Keep that that uh, keep that issue visible with the customer. It's like you know we're we're still not getting input from quality on this. So, um, just you know that's sometimes that's as far as you can go with it, right?
2: Um, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, you know it, it's it's tough to um, get through some of those uh, situations, and as you mentioned, there may have been like disagreements between departments, or their goals are simply. Uh, not aligned, I've seen that as well, right? When they have their own KPIs in, in different uh, in different silos. And so like one department is pushing ahead for a certain change while the other one is kind of looking in other directions. So for sure, yeah. there, there's a lot of challenges there.
1: And that's an interesting that you bring up KPIs because of course, it's a big part of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is helping customers get information about their system so they can measure if they're doing the right thing or not. Um, but of course, you need to have the right measurements to to really succeed with what you're doing. Um.
2: Yeah, that's perhaps a um, miss expectation of, uh, I would say, like certain maybe leadership teams in the sense that, you know, they think that there's going to be this data solution that's going to show them this information presented to either upper management or the plant floor, and then the changes are going to maybe happen on their own or improvements are going to uh, drive themselves, so to speak. But I think it's important to also discuss the topic of, as you said, like continuous improvement, that this is not a one size fits all solution that gets deployed and just manages itself. There is a need for human um, investment, so to speak, right? So dollar yeah. invested that obviously put some eyes on the data and that drive further Improvements in that system.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's the uh, the um, the customers that we have the most success with are the ones that are in it for the long haul. Right? There's a partnership between the technology providers, right? And, and at the end of the day, we're we have a lot of understanding of the process, and and we're functional ex- experts in how factories work and all of those things, but um, but the um, the customer uh, that that creates that partnership with us that's that's has the vision of what what can be done with the with the system, and is is willing to start um, you know start with a small thing and then build upon that is I think where the real opportunity for benefit is, and um, that leads me to one of the things we're doing at Grand Tech that is new. Uh, and it isn't a secret, but it's it's just coming out that we're we're starting to talk about is we're um, we have a program that's called Agile MES. So what we're doing there is uh, trying to get rid of the waterfall, right? Here, who loves the waterfall approach to building uh, any kind of a system, right? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Waterfall can be really dangerous if it's too high. Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um so what we're doing is we're going to the customer and we're saying look we're gonna we're gonna start with a very small the very minimal viable solution right and so we're gonna do uh we're gonna go out and we're gonna study and we're gonna find a, a piece of low-hanging fruit and we're gonna pull that off the tree we're gonna we're gonna um put an OEE system on and we're just gonna grab the bottleneck of this filler and maybe the maybe the uh, palletizer at the end and, and just get the very bare bones uh, solution in place to demonstrate that this thing can provide some useful information. And what happens there is a couple of things is you, the customer immediately gets some feedback. They have a small investment. Mm-hmm. They get some feedback and they get a learning cycle, right? Rather than have this big user requirements that we spend three months building, mm-hmm. We, uh, we go out and we, do, we get this quick win. And then they're smarter about what it is they really need and, 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 and what they ask us to build for them next, right? Mm-hmm. So um, this is a new thing for us, uh, but we're getting some great positive feedback
0: from some initial customers. And
1: I um, think it makes a lot of sense going forward.
0: No, ab- absolutely. Yeah. I will make the comment that I run similar styles of implementation for exactly the same reasons that you were discussing Huck. Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: after having gone through the cycles a number of times I'm not sure I will ever go back to the the legacy to the legacy I've seen too many you know year-long two-year three-year MES projects that was a whiteboard sketch that you spend two or three years building that completely miss to (laughs) go back to that because the, the the stakes are too high and the chances of missing is so high at this point
1: I I can say, and I hope I don't get in trouble with my marketing team, <laughs> that we have turned down a proposal or two that were for big waterfall approaches, mm-hmm. you know, so for that, for that reason, it's like we, the, this approach makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, for some customers, it's not going to work, right? If mm-hmm. you have a greenfield facility and you need, you know, you're going to switch this thing on in six months, you need all the all, all of the functionality to be there, right? You need to be able to make your product absolutely. Um, but, but for a lot of customers that are that are you know that have an existing operation going and ha- have found some money to go do uh, do some improvements, uh, may- maybe it's adding quality or uh, mm-hmm. or some tra- tracking of of uh, raw materials through um, this approach is better for them because again they don't have to define this this fixed uh scope of work and we don't have to try to you know figure out what they meant by all of that right we 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 iterate we allow ourselves to iterate and so as as we're learning what it is they really wanted they're also learning the same thing right Mm -hmm. so yeah makes a lot of sense
0: absolutely And, and i will also point out that that helps to alleviate the problem that I see a lot of time of an adoption issue. So you build the system, you get the input, but how do you get the people to use it? Um, And as we mentioned, it's, it historically has been the, okay, we're going to implement the system and then hope people use it. This is very much the, the baby step. show people it will make their lives easier, show people mm-hmm. that it'll actually drive results. And then as you increase this, the scope and scale of the system, you're going to find more people willing to buy in. And if you can get the buy-in on the plant floor, that means that the system actually has a fighting chance in order to, uh, to be adopted for the long-term and actually get a, a return on investment. For exactly. the uh, for the dollars being spent, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so Hank in the comments actually had a good comment. He said that it's a challenge to get useful data definitions from customers and departments. Small steps is a great approach to get input from the players. Very much what uh, cool. what we were saying. I do
2: have a question, I guess, on that dynamic. I think uh, Dave made an excellent point on the training side. And what I've seen personally, again, from my experience, is that customers are somewhat unwilling to pay for those extra hours near the end, you know, because they, they think that they will be delivered somewhat of a key turnkey solution. And then you can simply walk away. Uh, so I'm curious to hear maybe... Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, embedding a resource after that system has been deployed that would, I guess, not only train, but like what I'm thinking, and it happens on some occasions, but would be looking through that data and suggesting, I guess, additional maybe changes that needed to be made in addition to the resources that the customer would would commit, right? I'm, I'm curious about that dynamic. Do you see just the customer manage that data and suggest future improvements to that system? Or do you see an embedded resource from the um, from the people who implemented it that would go through that data to some extent and recommend future solutions?
1: I, I've seen a mix of that. And Vlad, it's a really good uh, point that the we talked about the fact that this thing is a platform whatever it is uh is a platform for continuous improvement and by definition what that means it's it's never going to be done right Mm -hmm. it's never finished and 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 we've definitely gotten to the end of projects where you know we've delivered what we said we were going to do in the original proposal and more on the customer still hey but what about this thing and that thing right and and so um So it is absolutely something that should be planned for right Uh, on both sides, the customer and the supplier side of how are we going to manage that expectation at the end? And um, one of the things we're doing in the, uh, in the agile approach is uh, sometimes we'll have a a defined, um, you know, the customer comes and says, we, we, we want these, these five or six things. And so we're, we, we developed the the sprints where we're gonna deliver this first minimal mm-hmm. uh, solution. And then the next sprint's gonna add some things and et cetera. And then um, in one specific case, we had a thing at the end that said, we're adding this extra sprint at the end. Mm-hmm. You haven't asked for it. We don't know if you're gonna need it or want it, but we're, we're putting this in the budget. And it's kind of a heads up that, you know, the um, the requirements are gonna emerge and evolve over time. And so that was the idea with that one. Um, and because the other thing that goes along with that is is that most of our customers in the manufacturing space are dealing with capital budgets or annual budgets. And so right. you know, doing a com, com, total agile thing where you say, well, we don't know how much it's gonna cost. We're just gonna keep doing sprints until the cows come home doesn't work right Mm -hmm. so you got to have you got to have some realistic boundaries around it when you start um but so that's one of the ways that we're we're trying to address that particular issue is is having some uh having some dollars at at the end that are you know they're discretionary so it's up to the customer at the beginning to say i'm going to put put that into my budget or no thank you i don't want that in which case you know they've they've made the decision that hey when we're done we're going to be done
0: no, I think that makes sense. And let me ask a, a follow up question on the kind of agile MES and kind of what you guys are doing at Grant Tech. Are you going and explaining the agile process to the end user, like in depth, or is it you kind of explain that you, we're going to do it, you know, in pieces and each, you know, piece or sprint is a week or two weeks long. Uh, how, how in depth do you go when you explain agile to the end user? It depends
1: on the customer, mm-hmm. for sure, uh, and at what level we're talking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in in some uh, in at least one project I'm aware of, the customer is actually looking at user stories in Jira. We're using okay. Jira as our sprint mm-hmm. management tool, mm-hmm. and uh, in fact, they can create a new one that goes mm-hmm. into the backlog. Yep. So so they're very engaged in the process in that particular okay. case. Some others That's are awesome. less less involved in the details. Yeah, and actually, that's where we want to be with it, right? Um, and there's there's uh, there's pluses and minuses of that too, right? They get to see a little bit about how the sausage is getting made, and mm-hmm. sometimes that's not pretty. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's um, but you build that, that the, the thing that, that's good about it is you build that relationship, right? They they have a better understanding of when they go and say, hey, I just need that one more drop down on the screen, mm-hmm. that it's not a five minute job. Right. They start to get an understanding of, well, that just changed the query and the back end and et cetera. So, um, so if a customer's uh, able to engage at that level um, and, and, you know, some are and some aren't, but uh, it's, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Um, As long as we have all of our, uh, all of our gears turning in the right way. Right.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
2: We also talked a, uh, a little bit about subject matter expertise, um, and I think that's a very interesting topic for me, uh, specifically, coming, uh, you know, coming in with an engineering background. And um, you know, we talked a little bit off stream about the employment rates currently in uh, both the US and Canada, how the market is getting uh, really interesting, or I'd say there's uh, less and less engineers, so to speak, on the market. So how do you deal with um, maybe the problem, you know, recruiting people, making sure that they know about your company, maybe specifically Grand Tech, if you can share about some details and just um, what do you think, like in a general sense, like what is it going to take to keep um, talent on board? I think that's a very uh, important and I'd say like struggle for certain companies in many ways
1: got to be really careful answering this question because I know there are some engineers at Grand Tech that are, uh, that are probably listening to this. Um, so maybe I should actually get them on to answer the question. So, so first of all, it's, it, it is our biggest constraint, right? Uh, Dave started a new poll today on LinkedIn asking people uh, if they need work or if they're too busy. And, and uh, we are definitely very busy and we are aggressively hiring uh, and, and we're not alone. We, you know, we're, we're, uh, very active in CSIA and we're hearing the same thing from our, from our colleague companies. Um, so, um, it, 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 so ha- having the, having the, uh, enough people to do all the work is definitely a constraint. Um, but the other side of that is from my perspective and, 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 my job is, is is really leading the people who are doing work right and my goal is to build the environment that they want to work in right because everything else flows from that so uh, and if anybody if any of my engineers that are that are uh, in my group are on the thing you can you can feel free to put some, put your comments in the chat and they've they've let us know but um and so it, it is always a, a and it's not about, you know, having beer or Pepsi in the fridge. It's about having processes uh, that flow as far as defining the work, getting it cut out, having a standard way of delivering stuff, and um, making that clear all the way from the beginning of the sales cycle. So our client solutions people and our project managers, we're all in sync on understanding, you know, understanding as best as we can what the customer needs, getting that communicated to them and pulling it through. And that, if we do that process right, then the engineering team has a less chaotic work environment and gets to spend their time and energy um, building cool stuff rather than fighting fires for scope that, was, that wasn't you know, understood well or um, bugs that appeared because, you know, there wasn't cohesion in, in how we did, the, did our delivery. So, and I I'm, can't wait to see what the comments are, but I'm not gonna tell you we're perfect at that, but we are but being intentional about going from where we have been to, to, that, to that place where we wanna be. And so to me, that's the point, that's the important part of addressing uh the 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 constraint of of resources right it's um if you if you read this book which we've talked about um Mm -hmm. identify the constraint right and 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 do your best to elevate that constraint and and so that's that's one of the things that we're doing
2: i'm very happy to so, sorry to interrupt. That. I'm Go very ahead. happy that that's you know, the, the selling point that you mentioned. I think in the grand scheme of things, a lot of times I would say certain employers do kind of put forth the Pepsi in the fridge aspect <laughs> before anything else. right? And I think yeah. treating your employees as also part of your, let's say like customer or, you know what I mean? Like you want to really manage, I think that relationship really well. And I think if you that as one of the first kind of values within your company you're going to build successful teams and ultimately retain people and that's i think like one of the key um maybe frustrations you've mentioned for engineers right when there's like just too much chaos and they're not focused on doing the work that they would want to be doing but rather trying to manage all these different interactions outside of that work so
1: yeah, and 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 that's I mean, and I think that's the thing is it's like the um the people who are good at this, they they hold themselves to a higher standard, right? And they they want to do good work, and they want that to be appreciated, and so there's this natural accountability amongst the team, if you if you enable that, right? If you give them the right working environment to be able to go deliver good stuff for their customers, then they're gonna be happy and they're gonna to wanna to do more of that. And they're not gonna uh, jump when the market gets really hot and people are offering crazy salaries and all that stuff.
2: Can you show really quickly the book again? We've got some oh,
1: asking. <laughs> yeah. for- sorry, it was a little bit of a tangent, but um, this is uh, this is a book that actually was written in the mid 80s. It's the goal by Ellie Goldratt. And it's a book about continuous improvement. It 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 like a lot of the things we've been talking about are are touched on in this book. Uh, and uh, and it's it's really about aligning the business so that all of the parts of the business work together to uh, to accomplish goal. I'm not going to tell you what the goal is if you want to know. You have to actually yeah, have to read the book. But um,
2: uh, I posted it in the comments so people can uh, find it. Yeah, Dave, you've read the book, right?
0: I have read the book. Um, it has been a while since no. um it's been a while since i've read it but you were this is like the third conversation within the last six weeks that i've had about it and and as i mentioned yesterday i'm gonna have to see if the library has it or, or download it again somewhere <laughs> for uh because it is it has been too long and uh as you were showing yesterday Huck, it is uh you've got all of those uh you know pages oh. uh, marked and yeah you, please go ahead
1: I was just going to say that uh, actually the reason I have it here on my desk right now is because we uh, are just finishing today is the last day we, um, we have a book club going at Grand Tech, uh, and we've been reading this book. And so every two weeks we have a section that we go through and then we have a chat and a beer uh, and um, talk about talk about the the book and, and, uh, you know, some of the learnings that come from it. Um,
2: I believe we talked about making that perhaps a little more public. I don't know if you'd be willing to post uh, some of those books. I think it would be helpful to the, maybe LinkedIn community. If you ever decide to reveal those, uh, those readings uh, through your profile, I think it would be very helpful.
1: You mean as far as the, uh, uh, what we did in the book? Yeah. Well, not just that
2: specific book, but on an ongoing basis, I think it'd be good to see what you're reading. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah
1: actually that was one of my today
0: book sorry i was gonna say is this the first book and book club
1: this is not uh it's been done a few times before but we have a new effort that's like uh we already have the next one planned so this one's just finishing up and Ooh, exciting and uh yeah i can't tell you what that is it's a secret at this moment but um actually i don't know <laughs> i don't know what it is i uh, have to ask sam but um Uh, No, but my plug is, is yes, if we are, I will definitely, uh, I'll make a post about our experience reading this book uh, on, uh, on LinkedIn. And and in general, we have a a bunch of other interesting things happening around smart manufacturing at Grand Tech. So uh, follow Grand Tech on LinkedIn.
2: They publish really interesting uh, white papers. I know that Grand Tech is fairly involved, uh, like on social media, and I think a lot of the Uh, like upper management actually publishes uh, interesting articles, right. Related to smart manufacturing, AI, like there's all kinds of uh, interesting information more so than I would say many other technical companies. So
1: it is one of the things I, that I like about the company is there's um,
2: there's an intentional
1: investment in, you know, that bigger picture, right. We have, we have several people who are, you know, their entire focus is on what is the future of smart manufacturing. My job is in engineering is to, to go, you know, build the solutions and, 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 and follow those guys. But, but we have a whole group of people who are, are focused on the, you know, what's coming in the industry and, and uh, where's it going. And, and, you know, the, with the goal of that is to, uh, is to make sure the company's headed in the right direction to meet the needs of, of our customers and, and, and even lead them and, and uh, what's possible with this with the technologies.
2: If we want to tie back to um, our previous topic, so subject matter expertise and uh, both smart manufacturing, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, as a, as a team leader and essentially manager of many technical resources, what are your thoughts on like ever changing technology and kind of the need to upskill, you know, your people? Is that something like, Obviously, it has to be done, but how do you manage, um, you know, keeping them maybe on a let's say on a project versus making sure that they know the next thing that's coming up? And as you probably know, there's a lot of things constantly uh, changing in this field. So how do you yeah. keep those two things balanced?
1: It's, it's just the rate of change is just getting faster, right? Yep. Um, yep. Absolutely. I saw something about you know the change has been kind of linear, and we're just now on the. On this part of the exponential curve, and just going to keep going okay. faster. Um, so, uh, there's a few things. I um, first of all, we talk, We've been talking about smart manufacturing, and, and in a lot of a lot of places, you see you have controls engineers, and you have SCADA engineers, and you mm-hmm. have you have uh, people who are software engineers, right? And um, I I think one of the things that we need to do as an industry is is get rid of those lines right or walls or uh the uh, the 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 plc engineer needs to understand you know what's going on at the levels above and and not just the technology of you know can you write python code but what's happening with the data that's coming in and out where's the data coming from and where's it going for the for that plc code that you're writing and and um so I think that the better job we do of of getting uh, the people who are doing the work uh, w- wherever you are understanding the 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 all of it, right? Um, I think that's one thing, right? Is, is is to to make sure people have the opportunity to understand m- more about the the total solution in the big picture, and even you know why does why does the what does the packaging line care about OEE, right? What are the down, what are, what are the, what is the purpose of this downtime Pareto chart? Um, and um, so, uh, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's an important thing. But I think the other thing that, that as the technology and the capabilities and the expectations of what we're doing at the smart manufacturing layer evolve, we also need to. Uh, uh, we also need to think, rethink what we're doing at, at the controls layer, right? At all the layers, right? And how, do they, how to engineer all those layers so that they work better together, right? So for instance, uh, I, I, I'll bet that one or both of you have worked with the system where recipes were stored inside the PLC,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Who here thinks that's a good idea?
2: I've had uh, moderate success with that system. <laughs> it's a terrible it idea, man. Uh, I mean, I, after you I get never, up to, like,
0: uh, but, like, why would we store the recipes in the PLC? Why like, we? Aren't there better places to put them? Yeah. I mean, I mean they that,
2: didn't have a server. You know, they didn't want to invest the money. They already had a PLC. They had an yeah, HMI. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. But I mean, you get the point, right? It's mm-hmm. it's, uh,
1: it's it's going to be brittle in there. And if you have if you have your array of mm-hmm. of a hundred recipes, and we add one more parameter, now your array's broken. Or if we add the one hundred and first product, you know, you're you're stuck. And so I, I I like to use that example because in and for the right customer, it's fine, right? I mean, and, and sometimes you. It, it, as you all know, we're, we're building real systems for real factories and there are constraints. And so we're going to go do what we need to do for that customer. But, um, we came from a world where all the intelligence was in the PLC, right. And the SCADA layer back when I was a young man, all it was, was pretty pictures, right. It was graphics and that's all. And so you had to put everything down in there. But now as, as, as we have the capabilities to have, you know, more intelligence at the SCADA level and have an MES level and a and, uh, uh, PLM system, all of a sudden our horizons are different on on w- w- where we can put the intelligence, right? And so um, that's, I guess that's when talking about this, you know, you, you asked about subject matter expert. Um, I think the, the thinking, the mindset from from the PLC level up needs to be more holistic,
2: mm-hmm. I guess. No, I, I definitely agree. I, I guess on, on a small side note about that recipe implementation on the PLC, the, I guess what you described kind of happened at that facility. Uh, so at, at one point in time, you know, they wanted the recipe management on the PLC, then they told us, oh, it's going to be 40 to 50 recipes. Sure enough, you create like a fixed or a PLC and then everything runs fine. And then you figure out that the guy in the night shift for whatever reason, like changes the recipe to what he needs, to what he gets, you know, on paper from the, from the team supervisor. And then there's a, I guess a full array of recipes and you get a call to add more to that, uh, to that PLC. And sure enough, you know, there is a limit uh, that you can reach, but then it becomes like extremely inefficient. And so, you know, then we had to issue a quote. And of course, that's where we kind of reached the discussion of like, we're going to have to send that data somewhere, right? They didn't have servers Mm -hmm. on on on-prem. And so cloud was not really an option too, because they were very reluctant to, you know, store that data somewhere else, even Mm -hmm. though I, I don't really think that a recipe system is fully proprietary, but anyhow, that's a separate discussion. Yeah. And so... You know, they, they kind of looked at the bill of that on-prem server setup and were very. I want. I don't want to say like surprised completely, but I guess it was higher than expected, right? To implement something like that, and I think nowadays with different technologies, you can really uh, be very flexible with uh, with some of those systems, right? Like recipe management doesn't fully need to be um, like on a on-prem server again. One, but also it's not a critical component right of your system so there could be ways to kind of mesh it together with some recipes let's say store it on your SCADA system and then a lot of them in the cloud but it's an interesting I guess scenario to to go through that yourself and figure out some of the limits of the the systems.
1: Yeah and, and on that subject we have customers who are deploying full blown MES systems with OEE and SPC and the servers are all in their corporate data centers. They're not on site. You know, mm-hmm. they're not they're not in Amazon's cloud, but they uh, but they are not on prem either. So um, I think that line is gonna get blurrier as well as we move forward.
0: Right. Yeah. So, and I, I would mean say I think especially I was going to say, especially with, you know, uh, private LTE bands and 5g, and then it becomes less of an issue of how good is your uplink? Because I know many places that, you know, we couldn't deploy to the cloud two, three, five years ago, because they had, you know, they were shooting like a, a, a wave from like one, uh, one section to another section. And they were, they, they lost connectivity you know two or three times a week and at that point you would lose too much data to just be able to store it in the cloud but with the ability to have more cellular um, and better networks in general I think we're going to see a a larger push to the cloud for the reason that Vlad said because it costs a lot of money to put a server on-prem if you currently don't have servers on-prem and are not prepared for the upkeep and the maintenance and everything else that goes along with those. Right,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. Um,
2: go ahead, Black. We've got a question on YouTube, um, which is interesting. So, how often do you find your team competing with another company based on price alone? So, I think it's a it's an interesting discussion, and I want to add to that as well uh, because I think, in one sense, like you're selling technical solutions, but you're also selling the expertise like of your company, the knowledge of the process, like the ability to mm-hmm. investigate uh, certain problems. So I guess my initial thought is that unless it's a very straightforward, maybe conversion, let's say of a PLC or just like implementation, you're not purely competing on price, but I'm curious what your thought about that is like, because is, you're selling, I think more than just a like fixed solution.
1: Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. And um, you know it, it any given RFP that we get is gonna have different layers of complexities and, and requirements that um, I I think that uh, I, I think that, that the price alone kind of days are for what we do. And I think that you're right, Vlad. There are still are some exceptions to this, but I but I think those days are kind of over. And I think what we're selling is the value proposition of building. In a, in the ideal world, we're, we want to build that partnership for long term, uh, for for long term relationship. Because as we if when we do the first project with you, there's a learning curve of of us understanding how you work and, and mm-hmm. where your va- value really is and et cetera. But over time, we're going to deliver more value for less money because we know you and we know what, we know what's going on. So um, I think that that, um, I, I think what I'll uh, actually the way I'm going to answer that is uh, talk to our marketing guys. <laughs> so, ah.
0: <laughs> Good answer, Huck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They'll have a much they'll have a much more polished answer to that question. But but so, ser- uh, but seriously, I, I think you know the the um, and we talked about earlier of, of uh, not bidding on uh, RFP and not bidding on every RFP that comes in the door. And it is one of the analysis, right? Is is if there's a uh, uh, if there's you know eight other vendors and it's a fixed price and the scope is wobbly we might not, we might not have the bandwidth for that one.
2: Right. Right. So. No, for sure. I mean, I, I think w- it's, I will add, Dave to, was going to go ahead,
0: Dave. Uh, I was, I was going to add to what Huck was saying is that I, I think the days of, uh, you know, bottom dollar pricing on many of these, you know, smart manufacturing systems, are mostly gone. I I think it's a a lot of value and what sort of value can you bring to the the end user? A lot of the like fixed bid pricing that I see is in like the public sector. So like a lot of water, wastewater Mm -hmm. bids generally go to the lowest bid. And then a lot of times, many of like publicly traded companies, there is some amount of bidding process, but there isn't a great visibility in there. So they can still have a, you know, ideal vendor and a preferred vendor. So even when you get to that point, price doesn't matter as much if it's not a a publicly, if it's not a, if it's not like a governmental organization where anyone can go and look at the bids. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and that, yeah. And. That, that isn't our you know isn't our primary focus right so doing those kind of things
2: yeah I think absolutely you you mentioned a good point too because you must be willing to walk away at a certain point in time right because it's just not worth uh, working with a customer who's only fixated on let's get this at the lower uh, at the lowest price possible and I think again if you're trying to build that long-term relationship it really uh, perhaps sets the tone right if, if that's really the only thing that you're uh, concerned about not that not to say that price is not important but you know that there's maybe other things uh that they should be looking for and yeah. putting maybe at the higher level yeah if we um, want to go back to um technical discussion a little bit so we had a uh, good conversation yesterday about OEE and how sometimes <laughs> you know you come into the facility and you know maybe your initial engagement would be to um you know, kick off that relationship with implementing something like OE. And um, maybe the downfall, if I may, uh, that we see that probably all three of us have seen is that that system is going to be, to some extent, remain unutilized, right? And customers will not necessarily drive those, uh, those improvements. And so, like the question, I guess, then would be, or maybe the discussion that we can have is around what would be, maybe the steps, you know, in a practical sense. So a customer receives like an OEE system that tracks uh, the OEE, let's say on a per line or maybe per asset basis. What is um, the next step for them to kind of start implementing those changes?
1: I'm going to start by saying I hate OEE. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) actually that's it that's all i'm going to say no um i'm I'm next question Vlad. next question vlad yeah um no um and the reason i say that is because it's it's absolutely a useful can can actually be a useful thing to understand uh but it's only going to tell you part of the picture and one of the one of my problems with it is it, it gets implemented incorrectly uh for a lot of reasons um a lot of times the people on the floor already know where the low hanging fruit is. I mean, if you do it right, OEE is mm-hmm. going to help you understand, uh, you know, where where you're losing efficiency and where where your downtime is. The downtime Pareto is actually my favorite part of the OEE is, mm-hmm. is I think that's the most useful bit. Um, but people don't, you know, a lot of times the, I don't care about the OEE number for my, uh, for my labeler. Right, uh, I care about the filler. It's 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 going to be my bottleneck. Right? The, right, that labeler that labeler should be idle, right, and it it uh, it should be it uh, uh, it should be blocked most of the time. Right, it's it, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that. Sorry, I should have started. The labeler is upstream from the filler. Right, so mm-hmm. if the labeler is upstream from the filler. I, I'm, I want it to be blocked. I don't, I don't care if it's waiting for, for more bottles to label. I want to keep my filler going. And so what I might care about the downtime of the, uh, the the downtime Pareto of that labeler. if it's, you know, if it becomes a problem or if my filler becomes starved because that thing's not doing its job, then I start to care more about it. But um, so I, what I have seen in the past and, and not the very recent past, but uh, is that um, the OEE system gets put in by the tech, by the technologist and the and the line supervisor, whose job it is to uh, manage those metrics. You know, gets the numbers and and doesn't do anything with them, right? Mm-hmm. And and there isn't that focus on well which parts of OEE do we care about for this line, right? Is the filler our bottleneck? Which, you know, and if it's fine, then probably the, the filler is, is the bottleneck. So um, let's let's put all of our energy around getting the best information on that particular machine and, and worry less about the others. And, and that's one of the things that we're doing with the agile approach is, is going in and identifying that part first, right? Um, so that we can focus on the parts that make the most sense.
2: Yeah. I think it's very interesting that, you know, the level of detail that you mentioned, I think, um, again, from my experience, I think that that information never really gets maybe to the plant floor and the people who will be, you know, looking at that data. So they don't, again, only based on what I've seen, they don't fully understand those nuances, right? They might have that sense of, you know, what the bottleneck machine is from walking the line, but they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. translate that into the data that they see then on the dashboard. And I think it's also, you know, on the technology side, it doesn't always get implemented the same by different vendors. And I don't think there's always that link being made to the people who look at the data about, you know, what, how is that data being presented? But I think it's, it, it is a very important point. And I don't know, maybe what the solution is on how to train them and explain to people, because I think it takes um, maybe not necessarily an engineering mindset, but a deep understanding of the process as well as the data yeah. to kind of see it in a, for the true um, kind of sense of what it is, right. It, it's not yeah. a trivial uh, thing.
1: Well, right. I, I think that, so a couple of things on that. One is absolutely the more you can get your, operations, people who are on the floor that are interacting with the process and the production, the more they can understand about the big picture, the better. Um, and a lot of times we see room for improvement on factory mm-hmm. floors. But for OEE, the the real consumers of that data are the product engineers and the process engineers and the operations managers and the plant manager, right? And, and the the if we do it right and if they are as we talked earlier ready to receive this information this system um then that uh those numbers and those Pareto charts are information that allows them to make smart decisions about improving that improving that throughput right mm-hmm. and so um so 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 they're the primary consumers of that data but the the, the downside in the in the uh, potential for failure there and that I have seen is the OEE is like this easy place to get started with MES and mm-hmm. that gets right. sold, you know, throughout the industry. And, that, and, and that's probably the main thing I hate about it, actually, not the actual. <laughs> if you do it right, it's a good thing. But the fact that, that the, oh, yeah, well, you want to do MES, so let's, let's start with OEE. Well, the problem with that is if, if they don't have a demonstrated need for that and that it's just a, well, it's an easy way to get started, then they're not going to see value and then they're not going to do anything else. They, they're going to put in this platform for continuous improvement and they're not going to see the first improvement. And so then they're never going to even think about investing in what could be the second and third improvements.
2: Yeah, I agree. Dave, what do you think? That's uh, I I, I certainly as well,
0: I I certainly agree with what you guys said, and I appreciate your thoughts on it, Hook, and kind of to mirror and like go a little bit further to what Vlad was saying, is that I think there are certainly a lot of people on the floor, maybe engineering managers, who know what the bottlenecks are. I have more oftentimes than than I wish to count, had conversations at, you know, the 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 plant manager or the the executive level. And they don't they need the data. They want to see the data to know that it's the filler or to know that it's a particular thing mm-hmm. or to know that they they've quite literally run out of the stuff. In as raw materials, in order to be able to to run through the process. Like I've had that conversation more than once, and they want to see the data. And that is kind of what leads you down the path to implementing OEE or or something along those lines uh, across the entire line so that we're able to use the data to pinpoint. What what it is, but if you are working with management and you can explain to them, and you know it's it's a line and it's obviously the filler that is the bottleneck because it's always the filler that's the bottleneck, um, and you can go and stand there for a couple of hours and, and you know see it. Uh, then you can have those conversations and potentially move into a smaller implementation that delivers a lot more value quickly because at the end of the day, the goal is to deliver as much value as possible to begin with so that you can move to the next phase of the continuous improvement cycle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's spot on. And I don't really hate OE Dave. I was just being there hyperbolic
0: i i think you say it because you know that i'll laugh every time you say it uh no awesome so i i know that we want to be uh cognizant of huck's time and everyone's time uh vlad do you have any last questions to ask before i ask huck to tell people about what they're doing at grand tech and uh, and who Um, should reach out to them
2: we can dive into you know what uh I don't think we ever like did a full introduction uh, with Huck. I think we kind of glanced over that with your initial question and dove into a whole bunch of other topics. Oh, you're right, we didn't. But what if we? Um,
0: That's if one we thing doing? I've noticed that we're terrible at. Huck
2: is the that introduction uh, part. It,
0: well, it's less the introduction and it's more the please tell us a little bit of your background. So, do you think you can give everyone a a, a like a brief recap of your background and uh, and how you've managed to, to find yourself here? With us, should I?
1: Sure. Sure. Who here remembers the Modicon 584?
0: Pictures.
2: (laughs) Same, same.
1: Um, So I've been doing uh, industrial controls and manufacturing systems for my whole career. And um, that was the first PLC that I wrote code for. Uh, And it was for a Budweiser factory. And I did all these bit shift left routines in the code and my engineering manager came back and said you have to take all of that out we have an agreement with the union that it has to look exactly like an electrical uh ladder logic diagram and so um that was that's that was the beginning of my career in this in this space but um, it, in that initial company we were actually doing mes level stuff way back in that day we didn't know it was called mes uh, but it's always my career has always been around um, building the software systems that were getting data in and out of of the 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 process, and so I've gotten to see a lot of different industries and uh, uh, a lot of different layers of that from the PLC layer to the SCADA and and um, you know most of it's been in manufacturing, but there's been some other stuff, um, and along the way I've I've done I've got my hands dirty with PLC code, as well as uh, supplying panels, um, not designing them. I was smart enough to get somebody smarter than me to do that part. Uh, But, um, but yeah, I've done a bunch of different things and gotten to um, one of the things I love about the industry is you there's the opportunity to go see the world um, because our projects are everywhere, right? And so I've I've, uh, taken advantage of some of those opportunities and and gotten to um, get out of my comfort zone, if you will. And uh, so, yeah, I think
0: that's that's probably the highlights. No, no, I think that's amazing. Uh, thank you for that, Huck. I, I think Vlad had uh, had a comment. Well, what about what
2: about today? What about uh, your current uh, involvement with Grand Tech? What is that like?
1: <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, uh, Dave introduced me at the beginning uh, uh, and, and gave my long-winded title what's Um, the
2: title right we want to know the i
1: I don't actually what is it again dave can you tell me
0: Uh, so we've got associate director engineering smart manufacturing solutions does that even fit on a business card
1: i actually i don't have a business card i need to talk to angie about that um so yeah so so my, my job at grand tech really is leading the engineering side i mentioned earlier that we have a a person on the uh on the business side that's looking after what's the future and, and what should we be doing in smart manufacturing space. My job is to lead the engineering of, of how do we, how are we going to build these systems and how are we going to make sure that our people have the processes to do the work. And um, so uh, it's a, it's a new role for me and uh, it's challenging and exciting and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it.
0: No, that, that is awesome. And then Do you have a, uh, I I know you're more on the technical side. Do you have an ask if there are people listening either who are talent looking for a new position or who are customers maybe looking for what you guys are offering?
1: Well, I mean, I think, I think both of those things are, are clearly important to us. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you, uh, if you have experience in, uh, in uh, building smart manufacturing systems, MES or analytics or, um, you know, we're doing some work with data lakes and that sort of thing in our future. So, um, uh, yeah, please reach out and it would be great to, to have conversations. Uh, if, if our customer engagement model sounds interesting, the agile MES thing, um, we're getting lots of great feedback from customers on that. Um, so, um, we're r- r- really interested in, uh, in furthering that, uh, approach to our business.
0: Uh, that's amazing thank you hook and and while you were saying that uh sam in the comments says that your business card is an eight and a half by 11
1: (laughs) thanks sam sam is my counterpart he's the guy i uh so here's the here's the story that i that i told sam so sam's sam's out front you know the the big uh fire engine that has a a steering wheel at the front and at the back right Mm -hmm. so that they can get around the corners so sam's steering Mm -hmm. the front of the fire engine I'm, I'm the one in the back that makes sure we don't run over anything.
2: <laughs> makes sense.
0: I love it. I love it. No, thank you. Uh, thank you for that hook uh, Vlad, Do you want to, uh, you want to close this out and maybe tease what we're going to start with next week?
2: Yeah. So um, as we've um, mentioned at the beginning of the couple of episodes, we are doing these themes, right? So this was smart manufacturing and manufacturing intelligence. And so we've already asked Huck a few questions around this topic, but what we want to dive into even further is the the human side of, uh, I'd say, manufacturing transformation. And I think that that has to do with, you know, recruiting that has to do again, like I've asked a little bit, uh, keeping your engineers. It has to do with all sorts of things related with, um, with talent management in the, uh, in the technical space. So that's what we're going to be talking about with Dave in the next month. And I think it's a very, very interesting topic given you know, the current growth in the manufacturing space that we've seen um, you know, over the last year, especially, but just in general. But, uh, with that, Huck, really appreciate your time. Thank yeah. you again. I think it's been very interesting. We've got some really good comments and there's going to be, I think a lot more to come as we post this on, uh, all the social okay. platforms. Um, is there any place that, you know, you'd prefer people maybe reach out cause we do post, you know, links at the bottom. Is it, uh, through LinkedIn email, uh, whatever you yep. want to share or.
1: Yeah. Reach out to me directly using the LinkedIn, uh, connection and then, uh, if you have questions for Grand Tech in general, you can contact them. They're uh, very responsive uh, there as well. So, yeah. And, and thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, all the best in your future ones.
2: Appreciate it. We always have many more questions, but uh, as they've mentioned, we've always gone over the time that we typically schedule for 45 minutes and now it's been over an hour. So really appreciate it, Huck. Yeah. If you have questions specific that
1: uh, you want to ask me uh, either reach out or or post them in the, uh, in the, uh, on the LinkedIn event page and I'll, I promise to
2: answer them. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you, Huck. Thank you everyone. See you. Thank you everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.